Hey everybody, welcome to the ninth episode of the With Podcast. We're going to try again, try again today to wrap our head, heart, and hands around doing one thing and one thing alone, how to be with. With comes in lots of various forms, uh, with God, with others, and with ourselves. Hopefully this has been challenging, encouraging, um, or maybe just thoughtful. Uh, makes you stop and think about how you are handling your with. Uh, in life and, and circumstance. You know, um, this conversation today is something that's uh, a little bit near and dear to me. Uh, so I just want to want to jump right in. You know, I, I wasn't there, obviously, uh, but it seems to me since the dawn of time and the advent of human communication as a whole, I suppose there has been this argument, this argument of right and wrong. Uh, in my scant 39 years on the planet, I know it's always been around me. I will say, though, that the tenor of the conversation has certainly devolved from simply right and wrong in terms of best or not so great with accepted footing, like we all agree in perspectives. Perspectives play a key role. It has devolved this right and wrong conversation or argument to an argument, first of all, in terms of good versus bad, for us or against us, friend or foe, And it has very little wiggle room in between. There are lots of places in the scriptures, in the wisdom tradition as a whole, uh, that address such an attitude and an outlook. But there's one story that Jesus tells that strikes me in particular. The story of the Good Samaritan. Now, let me preface. I imagine God as uber aware. I am not a fatalist, thinking we're destined to just whatever happens, happens, but a resurrectionist. I cannot believe God causes certain things, circumstances, sicknesses, this coronavirus, uh, injustices. But to paraphrase John Calvin, uh, maybe it doesn't come from God's hand, but it certainly has passed through his hands. That personally leaves me with a lot of frustrating and painful questions, usually revolving around, okay, God, why? What is the meaning of this? How have you let this happen? But at the core, I have become a resurrectionist in the sense that when God is dealt any hand, I believe he can play his way into healthy and whole no matter what. I don't know if you play cards, Uh, But there are times, uh, whether it's poker or uh, anything, uh, blackjack, or lately I've been playing a lot of Uno with my kids. And there are so many times I'm dealt those seven or eight or ten cards, and I know for a fact I'm destined to lose. Zoe is going to crush me in this game of Uno because my hand is atrocious. No matter what hand God has dealt, he's not hosed. There is always a way out. And when we look at the resurrection of Jesus. He is alive and well today. Look what he engaged, not just with his own being, but he raises Lazarus from the dead. And, and to move away from this miraculous get up out of the grave dynamic that maybe some of us would have a problem with, look at the life of Peter. Peter, who goes in the scriptures, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, from being really kind of the class clown and a bit of an idiot He's the one who opens up the door of salvation, this deep theological truth to all of the Jewish people and all of the Gentiles in the book of Acts. 
we see Paul transition from a murdering zealot to this incredible equality for all, freedom, grace-giving individual. This story in particular, the Good Samaritan, that Jesus tells is a story. It isn't a happening. And we can kind of get those things confused as we read the scriptures, as people read the New Testament. Was that a parable? Was that a story? Was that a real event? Jesus tells this as an illustration. This is not the activity of his life unfolding. And I, I think that matters. Now again, I do believe God is omnipotent. So whether or not a moment is conjured or just quote-unquote happens, maybe in the scheme of things it's all the same. But that fact that God tells this, this story as an illustration, rather than it being a described activity, I, I don't know, it, just, it, it carries a different weight with me. In addition, there's a lot going on around this story that he tells. And if you're curious, the story takes place in the Gospel of Luke and only in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Just before he tells the story, Jesus sends out and receives his 72 disciples to go and do good works. And they do them. And they are filled with joy at having done them. Just before he tells the story, he speaks to those who do not do in verses 13 through 16, Luke chapter 10. He explains his own intimacy and oneness, not just in a descriptive way, but almost as an invitation, I feel like, the way that I read it. He's not just saying, hey, this is how I roll, but he says, hey, this is how I roll and you can roll too. And then he closes the frame after telling the story of the uh, Good Samaritan, he closes the frame with a Mary-Martha dynamic, setting doing and being as equals. There's a lot going on. But there's this question. There's a question posed that brings out this story. This question is posed that brings out this story. Now, in other places in the scriptures, Jesus has asked questions. And it can be preached that people are trying to catch him. People are trying to trip him up. Um, the great commandment. What is the greatest commandment? Hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. In this scenario, a lawyer stands up and asks, Hey, how do I inherit eternal life? Who is my neighbor? These are not just questions to try and trip Jesus up. And maybe they were. Maybe the intention was to cause him to stumble and, and catch him in his words. And In certain areas of the Gospels, they actually use that verbiage. But more than that, these would not have been questions only given to Jesus. These would have been questions given to every rabbi. These are specific questions meant to determine broader application. So, hey, how do I inherit eternal life is a specific question. But again, it's meant to help the person asking and those listening, what does this person really think? And... When the lawyer asks this question, Jesus tells this story. Well, first he asks, well, you tell me what's in the law. How do you read it? And of course, the lawyer answers, you shall love the Lord your God with a heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds, yeah, you're right. Now do it, and you'll live. Doing what's right starts with what is in your way. Doing what's right starts with what is in your way. Your way. 
this story that Jesus tells with the Good Samaritan has this guy who falls to robbers and he gets beaten and he's left by his own. He's just there laying on the ground. And by chance, the Jesus goes on. The priest sees him and goes to the other side of the road. Then a Levite comes, sees him and goes to the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, had compassion. The first thing I see here in this story, we haven't even gotten through the whole story, Jesus is being overtly subversive. He's calling out those who are in power and control. The priests, the Levites, those who were at the top of the food chain, so to speak. And Jesus does this over and over again, and I think it doesn't get enough credit. Man, he's just, he's just, he's mocking these people. He's saying, hey, this is... This is not the way that it should be done. It should be another way. He obliterates and mocks this us versus them mentality. The prejudices of this day and age are way beyond our own prejudices, which are still very present. And he levels the playing field to immediate equality. He's saying it doesn't matter who they are in terms of whether they need your help. What matters is that they are in your way. The priest sees this opportunity to serve and goes to the other side of the road. The Levite goes to the other side of the road. The Samaritan goes and helps. Now you have to understand, again, the subversive message that Jesus is making here. Samaritans weren't just a type of people. They were a frowned upon people group. They were a less than people group. You didn't look at them. You didn't talk to them. You didn't engage with them. You didn't even talk about them. We see this even in the response of the lawyer after Jesus tells a story and says, hey, the priest went the other way, the Levite went the other way, the Samaritan actually helped and served. Which of these three, he asks, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. I mean, just just pause there. He says, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even say the good Samaritan. He can't even say the Samaritan, because it goes against every fiber of his race, racist being. Jesus on the front side says, it doesn't matter who they are. What matters is that they are in your way and you should help. <laughs> Jesus installs the bar for all of us in this story. You can't do everything, but you can do something. This Samaritan can't solve all of this guy's problems, but he does something. And so he does what he can. Now here's a tough one to swallow, largely because it's the one most of us ride away from opportunities and escape with. Serving others who are in your way doesn't need to disrupt you completely. Let, just let that one sink in. Serving others who are in your way doesn't need to disrupt you completely. Now, I don't know if that grates on you like it does me, but this guy, this Samaritan guy encounters the injured man on his way, helps him, and then keeps going on his way. I mean, that seems selfish, right? A little bit uncaring, kind of weird. I feel like, come on, man, see this thing through. If you're going to be a guy, be the guy. Put your cape on, wear your underwear on the outside, and close the deal. But Jesus tells a story about a guy who apparently had people to see. He had places to go, so he served, so he helped as he could, and then he continued on. Finally, Jesus comes back to a deep, deep theme found in the scriptures. 
use what you have in your hand. We see this with Moses and the liberation of a whole nation from within a nation. He's being called by God to do something about the nation of Israel who is in slavery. And he finally has kind of relented and agreed with the voice of God. Okay, if you want me to do this, well, how am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed to do? And God just says, what's in your hand? And it's when God begins to miraculously use the staff in Moses' hand. We see this with David. As David's just this little boy that's not trained in the art of war. He's a musician. And he puts on Saul's armor. And he puts on Saul's accoutrements to go out to fight Goliath. But he finds that, you know what? It just doesn't fit me. So he takes it off and uses his sling and his stone and five smooth stones. Just use what's in your hand. Maybe even the gospel reality, the narrative that Jesus feeds the 5,000 comes to mind. Right? Hey, what's wrong with all these people? Well, they're hungry. Send them away, Jesus. No, Jesus says, you feed them. Well, we don't have anything. And Jesus says, what do you have? Well, we got got some bread. We got some fish. All right, bring it to me. And he feeds 5,000 men, probably 10 to 12,000 people total, with what people have in their hands. And this guy, this Samaritan, he sees the wounded man on the side of the road. And Jesus is telling, says it like this. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. Now two denarii is like a couple days worth of money. There are other stories and parables and narratives in scripture where Jesus spends a large amount of money and it's kind of outlandish and whatever. This is a couple days uh, worth of money, maybe a hundred fifty, a couple hundred bucks he's got. And that's what he has in his pocket. Because he's on a journey, he probably packed it for himself. But that's what he has in his pocket. And so he uses it to help this guy. I just finished a discussion with a group I'm a part of and we're listening to a teaching on the art of neighboring and the narrator made the statement that God doesn't raise the bar so high to serve but rather he lowers the bar so low that everyone can serve that everyone can love that everyone can make a difference we we sometimes reverse engineer this give all you have give all your time give all your talent God is deserving of that he's given you everything anyway And while the sentiment of availability is, I will admit, a beautiful thing, I find that God isn't asking me for everything. He more often than not asks me, Christoph, what do you have in your pocket? Christoph, what time you got before you got to go? There's this phrase that just nags at me, endorsed by all its good intentions. World changer. I hear it. I see it. When I was on social media, it was everywhere. And maybe it's been a while since I've been on social media, so it's gone by the boards. But you're a world changer. They're a world changer. You can be a world changer. I'm a world changer. Oh, come on. Don't be crazy. I, Christoph, am a present husband who tries to serve his wife and stay pursuing her in a lifelong marriage commitment. I'm a dad that tries to be involved and available to Asa, Jude, and Zoe. I do my best, my best at this role of pastor. I get the symbolic emphasis of world changer, but I would like us to stop. Just stop trying to think about or imagine saving or changing the world and maybe, just maybe, address what is in our way. And if we each do that, yes, yes, I believe that we will all collectively together change the world. Underwear on the inside and sans cape. Now, 
may you, in the way of our Christ, go, be with and for others as God is for and with you.